So how's everybody doing? It's great to see you. Great to see you. Uh, just to give you a little glimpse into the Frank Quiz residence, we tell a lot of stories at our house. Uh, my kids love it when I tell them stories. And so, uh, I mean, they, they would, I'll tell them, you want to watch your, a show before you go to sleep? Or me tell you, Bobby, tell us a story. And they're, and anyway, so I make up all these stories. I have characters that are recurring that show up. And uh, there's a centipede named Maximilian, who's uh, also a private investigator, and who comes in a lot. And then, um, anyway, uh, there's also, uh, my wife made this one up, this Twinklebot. This, it's a fairy robot. But anyway, um, so the other night I couldn't think of one, so I just told him the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, I'm like, you know, and then he, the big ball was coming, and then he jumped. And anyway, the whole thing, I, but we, we skipped like the whole faces melting when they opened up the ark. I figured that was a little too intense. And uh, so we're having dinner the other night, and my kids say, Bobby, can you tell us a story at dinner? And I said, no, but I've decided to change things up, and I've decided that you are going to tell me a story, because I do all the storytelling here. So you're going to tell me a story, and I have decided what story I want to hear. Uh, I want a story from the Bible. And so Xander, uh, my son Xander is almost four. He'll be four over the summer. And he says, okay, I will tell the story of Joseph. And I said, all right, go for it. He said, Joseph was born. And his dad loved him. But his brothers were mean. So they took him. Threw him into a hole. And then he died in the hole. And I'm like, that's not what happened. And so anyway, that's when Mia steps in. Now, Mia is six. Mia is my theologian. She's the one that, I mean, I am just amazed at how much this girl understands at six years old. But she really grasps so much. Well, anyway, um, and it just blows me away, the stuff she knows. And she's like, Xander, that's not what it ha- that happened. I'll tell the rest of the story. So Joseph was born. And his dad loved him and his brothers were mean and they took him and they threw him in a hole. And then he climbed out of the hole, met Mary, and then Jesus was born. The end. And I'm like, there's two different Josephs in the Bible. You just, you put any, all right, forget that. I want to hear the story of Moses. That's the story I want to hear at dinner. And uh, so Mia says, okay, I'll start. Moses was walking in the desert one day, and then he saw a burning bush. He went over and tried to blow out the burning bush. (sighs) But the burning bush didn't blow out. But then God spoke to him and and told him. And I'm like, by the way, he didn't try to blow out the burning bush. And she's like, well, yeah, anyway. And and I'm like, so what happened after that? And then she says, well, then God spoke to him from the burning bush and told him to go and free the slaves from Egypt. And I'm like, that's right. And so I'm like, Xander, then what happened? And he says, then Moses said, let my people go. Because Xander, anytime that story comes up, he has to scream it at the top of his lungs. And I'm like, and, and, uh, let my people go. And he says, and then the mean old Pharaoh said no. And then Moses took him, threw him into the burning bush, and then he died. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that, that's not what happened. Anyway. He's, yeah. Now, here's why this is important for them. I got to fix all of this now. Uh, I have to do some Bible repair later. Um, and then this is why this is important for us. Here's how it begins. Um, it, we start here with a misunderstanding about the Bible. Okay? 
we read something, misread something, don't understand something. It causes us to believe something about God that's not true. When we believe something about God that's not true, eventually that translates into us believing something about ourselves that isn't true. Once I believe something about myself that isn't true, now the decisions that I make in life, the choices that, that, that I, you know, whichever road I decide to take, the things that I do, all of these things, um, I start viewing life very differently than, than I should. And it all started with a misconception about myself, which started with a misconception about God, which started usually with a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding when it comes to the Bible. You see, knowing what the Bible says and understanding the message of the Bible is really the most life-defining, paradigm-shifting, direction-setting thing that a person can engage in. Why? Because that's where all misunderstandings begin. And so what I want to do today is really talk about understanding the message of the Bible, becoming fluent in the Bible But I want to also, as we get started, I want to give you three things to show, like, why is this so important? Like, why did you get up this morning and come here to hear this? Why is it important? All right, so here's the first one, if you're a note taker. is because the reason this is important is you won't know who God is uh, without knowing what the Bible says. Because most people's misunderstanding of God come uh, because of something they've believed about God, which has no root in the Bible. That's one of the reasons why we just teach through the Bible here at Calvary. And it's one of the things that it's just part of our DNA. It's part of our culture. And uh, one of the reasons why many Christians don't grow in their faith is because they're just not hearing God's word enough to really be fortified in their faith and, and, and be built up in their faith. There's a passage in Amos that says this. Um, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. That I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall run to, uh, they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. You see, when a Christian doesn't know what the Bible says, they're stunted in their faith. Simply because they don't know what God has done. And when you don't know what God has done, you don't know what God is capable of doing. And, and sometimes we can find ourselves in places of doubt. We can find ourselves in places of discouragement. And simply it's because we don't know what God is capable of as he's revealed himself in the Bible. The second thing I want to show you is this, is that number one, you don't know who God is. Uh, you won't know who God is without knowing what the Bible says. Number two, uh, and that is you will miss God's will for your life if you don't know the Bible. Now, when it comes to God's will, there is stuff that we, that we pray about. Now, this is important. There's stuff that we pray about that the Bible actually already tells us, like what God's feeling is on something, what God says to do it or not to do it or whatever, um, as far as whether we should do it. So because it's tomorrow, um, you know, so if somebody's like, man, am I, do I pay taxes this year? I mean, I'm praying about it. I'm definitely leaning against, but I'm thinking, of, do I do it? Do I not do it? And listen, here's the thing. You don't have to pray about it. I'm here to deliver some bad news, but God has already given us, given us the ruling on it. And it, 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 Jesus said it. He said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God's the things that are God's. God's already spoken on the subject. And for, for a second, let me just say my apologies. Uh, like, oh, I had to, I didn't, anyway. Um, but so, all right, so that's kind of a, the, you know, it's out there. Let's talk about one that maybe is a little more personal. Uh, you know, you're, you're single, you're dating someone and you're thinking, you know, what about sex before we get married? I mean, is that like, do we, don't we, 
we're thinking about it. Maybe we are, but we're thinking about not, you know, we're, but there's something involved with it. And we're thinking, you know, and praying, well, you don't have to pray about it. Okay. And this is so important. I actually gave you two verses just because, you know, how things go. Well, what does that really mean? Well, let me just give you two. So there's no weirdness. Um, the first is this in Hebrews, it says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage for God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Second verse in uh, 1 Thessalonians, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Now, the thing is this. Sometimes I know that we're like, I know what God, I know what the Bible says, but we're really in love. And we're thinking like God will give us an override. Or maybe there's like some kind of spiritual coupon I can get that I can kind of, you know, not have to do that. But, it, it, but by the way, it's not going to happen. Um, but God is always going to speak in a way that's consistent with what, um, what the Bible teaches. And so if you spend time in the Bible, you'll actually know like 90% of the questions we have about life um, are, are going to be answered very plainly. And then here's the third one, and I think the most important one. And that is this. You will not understand the story of God without knowing the Bible. You see, we are living in the story of God. Now, I I know I already gave you bad news about the taxes, but I got to give you some more bad news this morning. I promise it's going to get better. Um, But you're not actually living your story. I know it feels like your story. Here's what it feels like. What it feels like is there is a movie and it's your life. And you are the star of that movie. There's a few other people in your life that are the co-stars. And all the rest of us are extras. Now, nobody wants to be an extra. You know why? Because I'm the star of my own movie. And I've got a few co-stars and you're all the extras. And you're like, well, no, you're, I'm the star and I have, you're the extra. You know, so it's like, but here's, here's the bad news. It's none of, it's not our movie, right? Here's, we are all living, listen, in the story that God is telling. That, that's the pages of the Bible, the, the, the story that God has been telling throughout the ages. It is his story. And here's the deal. It's a story of his plan. It's a story of his mission. It's a story of his love. He is the star and we are the extras. But God is so good that he allows us to participate with him in the story. Now, here's why this is so important. Because we're trying to make sense of our story with us as the star. But life doesn't ever make sense with us as the star of the story. Life only makes sense when we are, when we realize that he is the star, it's his story, and we now are fitting into his story. That's why when we think, man, why is this thing not going well? You know, I got to try to figure out how this works in, in, in my story. Listen, when you realize your part in his story, your story starts to make a lot more sense because you see your story in light of the fact that it's his story. And all of history really is his story throughout the ages. And that's the thing that Peter is teaching us. As we've started a couple of weeks ago, um, we started this series called Becoming. And the whole idea is, is that there's a person that all of us want to become. But all of us start here. But we want to get there. But the challenge that most of us has is, how do I get from here to there? I'm not sure. And so Peter lays out these, these steps like, hey, here's... If you want to become this, then let, let's, let's take the road together. And some of these roads kind of go in, in a direction that we didn't think they would go. And so one of the first steps says, you've got to really understand the Bible. You've got to understand the message of the Bible, the story of the Bible, and what God is doing in the Bible. Because your life will not make sense until you understand that in light of the real story that's been happening throughout the ages. And so once we realize that, 
Well, now all of it begins to make sense. He said, well, now in my life, it wasn't just about me getting what I want or about my pleasure or my comfort. It was about all about what God was doing. And God was preparing me for something that he was doing and he wanted me to participate in. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to 1 Peter. That's where we've been the last couple of weeks. And we're going to be in chapter 1 in uh, verse 10. That's where we're going to start. Actually, that's where we're going to stop. But let's, uh, in verse 10, here's what we read. It says, of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to show you uh, in, our, in our time together about becoming fluent in the Bible, understanding the story of God. And it's a weird place to start, I know, but it's going to make sense when we get uh, a little further. And that is this. Here's what you need to do. Learn the prophecies of the Old Testament. Learn the prophecies of the Old Testament. The prophets of the Old Testament were trying, they they, they wrote these things down. Here's what they're thinking. God's inspiring them. They're writing it down. And they're saying, man, I really hope I live to see the fulfillment of these things. But most of them didn't live to see the fulfillment of these things. But they wanted to see how they unfolded. Now, the cool thing is that there's, there's a story in the Bible that actually shows us an Old Testament prophet reading um, another prophet, the book of Jeremiah, and he's reading it and saying, I wonder how this is all going to work out. And in the midst of all this, God like drops on him this incredible revelation of what's going to happen when it comes to the Messiah and all this stuff. Now, here's the first verse in Daniel 9. It says, uh, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became the king of the Babylonians. And during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem lie desolate for 70 years. Okay, let me give you a little background on that. Um, Israel was living in the land, but they weren't following the Lord. They, were, uh, they had made all these idols and all this stuff, and they were worshiping all these idols. And God sent prophets, and he sent priests, and he sent poets, and he sent everybody to try to tell them, listen, come back to the Lord, because it's not going to end well. Well, they didn't. God eventually allows the Babylonians to come in, and they wipe out uh, Israel, and they take most of the people back to Babylon. And uh, the prophet Jeremiah says, this is what's going to happen. This is his prophecy, that it's going to be 70 years until the people are allowed to come back. So Jeremiah is on the front end of that, of the 70 years as the people are going. They're like, because there were people that were saying, well, it's only going to be two years. And he says, no, it's going to be 70 years before you come back. So that's the, the front portion of it, of the 70 years. Daniel is on the back end of the 70 years. He's reading Jeremiah and he's saying, I wonder what's going to happen. We're at the end of the 70 years. How is this whole thing going to work out? Now, Uh, And then God gives him this amazing prophecy. Now, before I tell you that, I have to ask a question. Um, uh, Three weeks ago, we celebrated Palm Sunday. Now, the, the interesting thing is, if you notice this, there's no other story in the Bible, there's no other moment in history where there were people were gathered in such large numbers with palm branches, right? Because that's what happened. Remember, Jesus rode in. Uh, uh, rode into the city of Jerusalem and uh, everyone had the palm branches. They laid them down. He rode in and they were all saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means save us. And it, it literally, it, it's emphatic. So it means save us now. And so, but why did they show up that day? And it's just a fascinating thing to wonder like, why did they show up that day as opposed to any other day? And it's because the priests and scholars of that culture in that era understood the prophecies of the Old Testament and knew that there was a key 
to understanding when the Messiah would come. So let me, uh, so remember we said Daniel, the beginning of Daniel 9, he's praying, wondering. Well, the angel shows up and look at what happens. It's in your notes. And he says this, seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Okay, so Daniel is thinking, now, now follow me here. He's saying, the 70 years are up. Okay, God, what's next? The angel shows up and says, it's not 70, it's 70 times 7. And that's why he says 77s. In Hebrew, the word is Shabua, S-H-A-B-U-A. Uh, Shabuah means a period of seven years, just like we would say a decade is 10 years, or we would say a dozen is 12. Um, we, we recognize that uh, in Hebrew, a Shabuah is a period of seven years. So he, he comes on the scene and he says this. He says that Daniel, here's the deal. 77-year periods are determined for Israel. So 70 times 7 is 490 years. But he gives us a little... Disclaimer, it's not going to happen all at once. Look at the next verse in your outline, which is the next verse in Daniel. that We read 24, let's read 25 and 26. No one understand this. From the, from the time uh, the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, that's the Messiah, till he comes, there shall be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It shall be built with the streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after, and after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. Now, so he, here's what he says. 490 years. There's 69 sevens or 483 years. And that's th- that something is going to happen that's going to cause the clock to start. And at the end of those 483 years, the Messiah is going to come. There's another seven-year period. And we don't have enough time to talk about the other seven-year period. So I am going to punt that. All right? And I'm going to let future Bob handle the next seven-year period in an upcoming study, whenever that is. I'm sure he will do a good job. At least we're hoping. Present Bob is going to deal with this, okay? And so, uh, so we have, he says this to Daniel. When the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, start the clock. Because once that starts, it's going to be 483 years and then Messiah the Prince. Now, because I know you like to do this in days as opposed to years. Um, if you multiply that, now remember, they weren't working on a, uh, a, a, a similar calendar. They're working, uh, the Jewish year still to this day works on a 360-day lunar calendar. Okay? So you take the 483 years, and I know this is you're all excited because you all brought your calculators. All right? Uh, so I got my Bible, got my notebook, and my calculator. I'm ready for church. So... You got this, all right? So 483 years times 360, 360 day calendar is 173,880 days. You say, why did I get up for this? Please tell me why for this math lesson. It's going to get good, I promise. Okay, so first of all, what starts the clock? There's a command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. We actually know exactly when that happened. Um, There's a guy named King Artaxerxes, and he has a cupbearer whose name is Nehemiah. If you're, yeah, I've heard of him. He has a book out. All right, check him out. It's called the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. Now, you read that later. Now, here's what happens. Nehemiah goes in and he says, listen, Jerusalem is totally destroyed. I want to go back and rebuild the walls. And so, Artaxerxes tells him, okay, go. That's, and that's in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. 
and it actually gives us a specific date in Nehemiah chapter 2. It's March 14th, 445 BC. So that's when the clock starts. So all you have to do is start the clock then, and then you start it going 173,880 days, which brings us to April 6th, 32 AD. And what happened April 6th, 32 AD? This inordinate amount of people were in Jerusalem, all holding palm branches, all laying them down as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. You see, remember, if you've read the Bible, you know this, that that Jesus would heal someone and then he'd say, hey, make sure you don't tell anybody about this. You ever notice it? Like, isn't that weird? And then something would happen. There's a feast. They ran out of wine. And then uh, Jesus, his, Jesus, you know, Mary says, can you do something? He says, listen, my time is not yet. Everything is my time is not yet. Don't tell anybody. He healed someone. He raises someone from the dead. Whatever you do, don't say anything. And like, I used to be dead. I'm alive. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a dead giveaway. No pun intended. But anyway, so he's like, well, don't say much. And uh, so anyway, this whole thing happens. But this day is different. This is the day that he sends his disciples out. He says, hey, I need a special kind of cult. I I want you to tell people this is the moment. And on this day, on April 6, 32 AD, Jesus rides into Jerusalem presenting himself as the Messiah of Israel. That was the day. That's why everybody was waiting. Because that was the day he was supposed to be there. And think about it. In in Psalm 118, which is what everyone's quoting, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, It's in Mark chapter 11, which is in your notes, but it's actually a quotation from Psalm 118. But he says this, Psalm 118 says this, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now I know sometimes we have those and like, you know, it's like a verse for the day, you know, like Monday, you're like, ah, Monday stinks. This is the day the Lord has made and you're psyching yourself up. Now that's cool. It just happens to not be about Monday. It happens to be about April 6, 32 AD, the Jesus, the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem because it's a messianic Psalm. It's a Psalm about the Messiah, that there is a particular day that he will come. And on the day that he comes, everyone's going to rejoice and everyone will say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, how do you know Jesus is the Messiah? Because he's the only one who showed up. That's pretty much it. You're supposed to show up on that day. Who else showed up? He was the only one. So he's, you know, well, is it contestant number one? There's only one contestant. So he wins, right? So listen, there are 300 Old Testament prophecies, some not as technical as this, but that are all fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Now, what happens? What happens in your life when you start to understand these things? Here's what you start to learn, that God is always on time. He's always on time. Jesus didn't show up April 5th. No, no, no. He didn't say, well, no, listen, traffic coming out of Jericho was brutal. Uh, I got here on the 7th. It's the best I could do. It's not what he did. He showed up on the day he was supposed to show up. And here's the promise that we have, that if you're someone who loves God and you're following Jesus, that he's going to show up on time in your life. He's not going to show up late. He's most likely not going to show up early. He's going to show up at the right time. Listen, if you're single and you're here, you have got to get this. Or you are going to make like a horrible marriage decision. Yeah, but I really want to get married. And I'd like to be with someone. And, you know, this person's around. Like, Like that can't be the qualifier. Okay? Like who's breathing and who's close by? Okay, it's got to be this is the person that God has created for me. This is the person that we know we've prayed. This is God's will for us to get married. Listen, that's not if not, we're just trying to push ahead and we're trying to create a time frame. 
That is not God's. And what it does is you understand this, and it's like, well, why do I got to learn the prophecies of the Old Testament? Because you read this. You know what happens when you read these over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible? It starts to sink in that everything that God says, he actually does. And whenever God says he's going to be somewhere, he actually shows up. And that's the thing that we have to understand. Now, let me show you the second thing. This is in verse 11 of 1 Peter. He says, um, searching what or in what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Now, here's the second thing that I want to tell you about becoming fluent in the Bible. Number one, you, you learn the prophecies of the Old Testament. Number two, you study the life of Jesus. Now, let me tell you a, a common misconception that people have about the Bible. And that is, they say, well, the Bible is moral teachings sprinkled with stories to illustrate the teaching. That is not the case. Um, the Bible is a single story with teachings sprinkled throughout to illustrate the story. Now, this is why, when they say, well, that's why you, you need to read the Gospels, is because the Gospels are all about Jesus and you can't understand the Bible without seeing Jesus in the text. Uh, when Jesus rose again on, on, on Easter, that first Easter Sunday, he rose again, and he, there was these two men walking on, the, on a road, um, on the road, what's called the road to Emmaus. Uh, so they're walking on this road. Jesus appears to them. They don't realize it's Jesus. They're just having this conversation with this guy who just happened to appear, right, you know, right behind him or whatnot. And here's what he says to them as they're having this conversation. He said in Luke 24, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded to them in all the things concern, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Starting from the beginning, from Moses, the very first books of the Bible, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, the prophets. And it's like, hey, it's all about me. That's what you have to understand. Now, here's the question that I get. I used to run, some of you know I used to run a college. And, and one of the questions I used to get from college students is, hey, you know, the Bible talks about this guy. And then there's a story about the guy. But what happens to the guy? I don't know. Well, I want to know what happens to the guy. I'm like, I don't know why you're concerned about that, but I don't know what happened to the guy. That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is not to give us, you know, a biography on every single person. That's because we think sometimes like, well, and it's moral teaching sprinkled with stories. And I just want to know what happens to the stories. No, it's one single story. So because the Bible's not written to give us, give us every detail of somebody's life. It's written to get us to Jesus. So when the Bible tells us about creation, the fall the flood, it's all to get us to a guy named Abraham. God calls Abraham. He tells Abraham that he's going to bless him, that, that through him all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham gets us to his son Isaac. Isaac gets us to his son Jacob. Jacob has 12 boys, but we don't learn a lot about the 12 boys. We learn mostly about uh, Joseph. Because Joseph is actually what is the story that's going to get children of Israel to Egypt. And then Genesis ends. And then you open up, the, it's the next page for us, but you turn to the next page. The book of Exodus. 400 years later. Like, whoa, what happened? 400 years? What, what happened in those 400 years? Not relevant at this point. The children of Israel are slaves. That's what's relevant. God calls Moses. God calls the people out. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is all about getting the people out of Egypt and to the land of promise. Now, why is this important? Because once they get into the land of promise, they're going to have some battles in the book of Joshua. There's gonna, they're going to mess things up in the book of Judges. And then in Ruth, which is kind of a cool little side story. And then they're going to get to 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they will say, we want a king like everybody else. And then the prophet Samuel says, no, 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 but God is your king. No, no, no. 
We want a king just like everybody else. Okay? So they got a guy named Saul who was a horrible king. And then um, Saul dies, and then a guy named David becomes, becomes a king, and that's what we're trying to get to. We fall, we learn about all these other people, but we're trying to get to David. Because then David gets a promise in the book of 2 Samuel. God promises him that the Messiah will come through him. And so then, now what happens? David goes, his son Solomon goes, and then their son Rehoboam goes. The kingdom divides. The northern kingdom gets wiped out. The southern kingdom, I told you about the Babylonians, they come in and wipe them out, take them to captivity. Seventy years later, they start to go back. And why is this important? It's important because now the, the... Israel will never be sovereign again. Israel is always ruled by someone else after that moment when they came, uh, when they were taken by the Babylonians. And if you follow history and you can Wikipedia all this if you like, the Babylonians had conquered them, then they were able to go back, then the Medo Persians conquered them, then Alexander the Great. Uh, and his four generals uh, conquered them. And then after him came the war machine of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire came, and that is the world. Now, this is important because the Roman Empire is the world in which Jesus was born. And this now gets us to. That's why the book of Malachi ends. Some of you were here when we were teaching through Malachi. Malachi ends 450 years later. John the Baptist starts preaching. What happened? Not the point. It's all to get us to, get us to, the, to the place of the fulfillment of all these things in the Old Testament, which is Jesus. Now, and this is the thing that's so important. Um, This is why Jesus would say this. I I put this in your notes in John chapter 5. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Listen, missing Jesus in the Bible is like this conversation. The last conversation, the the last uh, growth group that I led, you know, we have all these growth groups going on. Um, I I led a growth group just for leaders uh, here in the church. And we were having this conversation one day. It was kind of, the group was winding down that night. And I was amazed. Honestly, I was grieved at the number of leaders in this church who have never seen Star Wars. I mean, I I was horrified by these guys who had never seen Star Wars. And then they start asking me like, so what's it about? And I'm like, oh, you're just killing me. You're killing me. And they're like, you know, who's the hairy guy? And I'm like... His name is Chewbacca. Never call him the hairy guy. Uh, and, and so then they're, they're, they're telling me, and they're like, you know, so isn't it all about like the Luke, right? Luke, that's all about him. And I'm like, no, the story's not about Luke. You, 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 amateurs think the story's about Luke. It's not about Luke. The story's about Anakin Skywalker. The whole thing's about Anakin Skywalker who turns to evil and then his son comes to rescue him and then he turns, he turns good again. But the whole story's about him and you miss the point of the story if you think it's about somebody else. Like, yeah, but what about the two robots? Are you talking about R2-D2? They're like, oh, I thought his name was Arturito. No, it's not that. It's uh, R2-D2. It's R2-D2. Anyway, I'm going to drop this because I'm getting upset now. And... Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll come back to it at some point. Now, but here's the point. You miss the point of the Bible if you don't, if you, it's like, the whole point is this. Mankind is fallen and broken. And all of this is weaving the story to get us to the point where mankind needs a savior and then the savior comes. He lives, he dies, he he rises again, and then he gives us the freedom and the opportunity to come to him. And everything in the Bible is pointing in that direction. Now, this is why it's so important. 
Because the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. And if you're married, you might say, man, I want to have a great marriage. What does the Bible say about being married? It says a lot about being married, but you won't understand it if you don't understand the message of the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about worry, about trusting God in difficult times, but you won't understand it if you don't realize what the message of the Bible is about. The Bible has a lot to say about work. has a lot to say about your career. has a lot to say about being successful. has a lot to say about why people aren't successful. But it, you won't understand it if you don't understand the message of the Bible, that the Bible is about God. It's about his story of redeeming us and saving us, that he is the hero of the story. And once we understand that, then everything else comes into focus. So here's what you might be thinking. All right, you've convinced me. I'm in. Where do I begin? I mean, the Bible's a big book. Where do I start? And, uh, you know, so what, what do I do? And uh, now let me back up a little bit and give you some advice. All right. And um, here's what I would say. If you say, I want to start reading the Bible, here's step one. Buy a Bible. Okay? Don't say, no, 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 but I have one on my iPad. Or I have, you know, no, no, no. Buy a Bible. Buy a print one, one that you can write in, that you can highlight stuff, that you can circle, that you can write in the back of it, whatever. And uh, sometimes you'll, you'll write in your Bible. Listen, I wear these things out. Uh, and so you need to write in that thing. And uh, now you say, well, what kind of Bible should I buy? Here's what I tell people. Buy an expensive one. Drop a hundred bucks on a Bible. Why? Because if you drop a hundred bucks on one, you're going to read it. Because you're like, listen, I dropped one. I am going to read this and get my money's worth. All right. Uh, you know, because if you're like five bucks, okay, you know, whatever. You know, but you drop on this. Listen, oh, we're reading this thing. Honey, we're reading it. You know, get our money's worth. Count the cable, but we bought the Bible. Uh, so now you say, well, there's like a, how do you, what version do you read and all that? And let me just give you this. This is real quick. Um, the version I read is called the New King James Version, uh, which uh, I like it because it's a literal translation of the original Greek and Hebrew. Um, there's some that are like really, you know, they, they try like, well, we just kind of give you the idea of what it said. I don't want the idea of what it said. I want to know what it actually says. Um, and so, you know, so if you like following along with me, I would encourage you to get a New King James Version. Um, but I recommend that you get one that you'll actually read. I mean, that's the important thing. Uh, and they're like, you know, I, I like the comic book one. You know, like this is comic book one, you're like, which is fine. You know, if you're 12, uh, you know, but if you're like becoming a grown up, you might want to, you know, go with something a little more hardcore. Um, all right. So I want to start reading the Bible. I'm going to go buy a Bible. What do I do? How, where do I start? Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, you have a connection card, right? Everybody has a connection card on the back of it. Now, don't write anything yet on the back of it. Somewhere on there, I want you to write one of these three words, beginner, intermediate or advanced. You don't know what those mean yet, but I want you to. Um, to, so just, you know, be ready. But anyway, so if you say I'm new to the Bible, I'm a new Christian. I don't, I've never read the Bible before. What do I do here? This is what I would say. Read the gospel of John. There's four gospels, four accounts of Jesus's life. Um, the gospel of John, uh, is written. He says at the end of the book, these things are written that you might believe. So we would encourage you to read the gospel of John. There's 21 chapters. You can have the whole thing read in three weeks. Um, we can break it up into a month. But anyway, so if you say, that's the one I want, write beginner on there. Make sure you have your name and your email on the front of the connection card. And we will actually, we're going to email you a reading plan starting tomorrow. It'll be in your inbox. And uh, you can start reading the Bible. You'll, have the, you, you know, you'll be on your way. And then we'll send you, after that, we'll send you something else for you to keep, keep going. Um, if you say, well, I've read some of the Bible. Uh, and so I want to do like a little bit more. Then here's what I would encourage you to do, is to read through the New Testament. 
Read through the New Testament, read the four accounts of the gospel, and then uh, read the, the, you know, the book of Acts and the epistles and all that. Uh, that's what I would encourage you to do. And if, once again, you put intermediate on the back of your connection card, we'll give you a Bible reading plan uh, that you'll be able to read through the New Testament in about three months. And uh, it'll give you, it'll be like two chapters a day. It'll take you maybe, you know, 10 minutes or so uh, to read through it. And you say, but what if I have questions? Listen, we're hoping you'll have questions. So here's what you do, all right? You take, you take your Bible and you have a notepad. And then you're like, what in the world does that mean? Just write it down. And write down, yeah, it's in John 1, verse 1. I don't even get that. Let's go to verse 2. Didn't get that one either. You know, just write it down. Then here's what you do. Here's what you do. Then you find somebody that you know that's a Christian that knows a little bit more than you. And you ask her to ask them some questions. When I was a young Christian, um, and I've told this story before, but I used, there's this guy that lived a couple doors down from me whose name was Bill. Bill was a construction worker. And uh, he would come home, I mean, just like covered in dust and grime. And uh, I, I'd see him because usually my car was broken down. So I'm trying to figure out how to get my car to work. And he'd say, hey, Bob, how you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing well. Man. And he'd say, hey, remember, anytime you have questions about the Bible, just come over to my house. So every time, so I had this notebook and I was reading through the Bible. I had this notebook and I just started writing down questions. Every time I had uh, one legal pad front and back. So that means I had at least, you know, 20, 30 questions to ask him. I would come knock on his door and uh, he would say, all right, come on in. And we would sit at his dining room table usually for an hour or two. And he would just go through the questions. And then sometimes he'd say, man, that's a good question. I don't know. I got to ask somebody else. And we just keep working it up the chain until we found some answers. And listen, it was great. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm sorry to bug you. Listen, you're not bugging me. I'm growing too. As you do this, so you find a Christian that you know, knows a little more than you. You ask the questions. Listen, you're not bugging them. They're going to learn in the process. So that's the thing that's, that's cool about this. And listen, that guy, Bill, taught me more th- than, uh, I don't know, you know, there's, a, there's only a few people that have really, you know, been like really big influences. But um, he has been a huge influence. He was a huge influence in my life when I was learning the, 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 the kind of the basics uh, of the Bible. And uh, all right, so you're advanced. And uh, so if you're advanced, oh, I've been reading the Bible. Here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. This is what I do every year. I read through the entire Bible once a year. And you just read, it's about three chapters a day, and you just read, you read it straight through. If you say, I'm into that, I'm hardcore, I'm like a ninja when it comes to the Bible, and I want to learn more, then, we're, then, then write advance, and we're going to give you that plan. And, uh, and you're going to, you know, and you start wherever you are, but me, I, I, Gen, you know, January 1 is Genesis 1 and 2, and uh, that's where we begin. And then by December, it's all like, you know, stuff is on fire and crazy stuff and revelation. You know, that's because that kind of gets me in the Christmas spirit uh, as I'm reading about, you know, stuff in flames. Uh, so, but anyway, the point is you get that going and that will get you started. Now, one last thing that I have to tell you, this is what's in verse 12, because this is the thing that's, that's um, this is so huge. Look at verse 12 in First Peter, We're going back to First Peter. He says, to them it was revealed that not uh, to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven. This is so cool. Things which angels desired to look into. What were they desiring to look into? The gospel. It blows their mind that God would be so gracious to people like us. So here's the third point uh, in this. Becoming fluent in the Bible. Here's what you have to do. Understand the depth of the gospel. Understand the depth of the gospel. Some of us think, well, what's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died for you and rose again. And uh, so you can go to heaven. That, that's, that's, a, that's the gospel. And, but that's not the end of the gospel. That's the beginning of the gospel. 
Uh, the gospel isn't just about you going to heaven. That's part of it. But the gospel is holistic. The gospel impacts every area of your life. So let me break this down if I can and put a little skin on this. Um, let me give you three areas where the gospel impacts us. And to the degree that we allow the depth of the gospel to impact us is to the degree that we will see radical transformation in this area of our life. So number one, your marriage. You want a great marriage? Then allow the gospel to just transform you as a husband and wife in your relationship. Let me talk to the guys for a second. Let me read you this, guys, in Ephesians 5. Husbands, here's what he says. Love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, listen, we would agree that, man, marriage is a heavy topic, right? I mean, this is not beginner stuff. Having a great marriage, I mean, that's, that's, that's deep. But how do you do that? He says, Paul says, here's how you do it. Allow the gospel to impact how you operate as a husband, how you operate as a wife. You want to be, you want to be a great husband? Yeah, here's what you do. Be like Jesus. Love your wife. The Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. How did he love his bride? Here's what he did. He gave himself for her. It's crucifixion. Sacrifice. That's how he led. He led through sacrifice. He led and said, listen, death to what I want, but I'm doing this for you. You want to have a great marriage? Then husband, here's what you do. Check it out. Lead like Jesus. Be the kind of husband that Jesus would be. And that's, listen, and to the extent that we do that is to the extent that you are allowing the gospel to impact you as a husband. The, the, the level that you allow the gospel to impact you as a wife. So marriage is one. Let me, let me give you another one. This is a little more personal. Uh, your marriage, number one. Number two, your money. Um, nobody wants to be greedy, right? And, and I think most people don't see themselves as greedy, but they, you know, usually it's, well, I mean, am I greedy? No, I mean, you should see that guy. That guy is terrible. And if you don't have anybody else, you'd always blame the government. And it's like, those guys, those are, you know. And, you know, then you have, you know, that whole, that whole thing. And, and you know, you'd probably be right. And uh, so, so now, but how do we keep from becoming totally self-absorbed and, and only caring for ourselves? What do we do? We mirror the gospel. How do we really know what generosity is? I mean, honestly, like, what is Generosity. Oh, I think it's like being nice. And someone else would say, well, I think it's like Mother Teresa. You know, it's giving up all worldly possessions and living in Calcutta. And, 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 and somebody was, you know, maybe most of us are somewhere in the middle. And, and, and we say, well, what is it? Once again, the gospel tells us what generosity is. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to also... I want you to excel also in this generous act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your faith, your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace. Here's the key. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's what Paul says. If you want to know what generosity is, look at the gospel. What is, what is the gospel? 
The gospel is God who has everything. Jesus has everything. And he empties himself to become human, to, to live amongst us, to be crucified, to die, to rise again. Why? So that, you, so that those of us who are poor spiritually could inherit everything that he offers to us and become rich spiritually. And then, so now the gospel becomes the litmus test for what generosity is. And it's not, well, that guy, is that generosity or that generosity? No, no, no. The gospel becomes the litmus test. It becomes the standard by which we measure what generosity is. Okay, third and lastly, how does the gospel impact us? Your, your marriage, your money, lastly, your work. Um, when you understand the gospel, right? The fact that Jesus died for you, that he rose again from the dead. You learn that your work, no matter what you do, is unto the Lord. In fact, this is uh, one of the last verses in your outline. It says this, it says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. So, you might say, serving God, my boss is the devil, uh, right? That your boss is not the devil. You know, may, well, your immediate supervisor may be related to him somehow. Uh, but ultimately, you work for God. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Because the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, shows me that in Christ, I am accepted by God. Now, why is that important? That means that the work, because of that, that means the work can just be about the work. The work doesn't have to be my identity. The work doesn't have to be what gives me my self-worth. My self-worth comes because I am loved and valued by God, not because of the work that I do. And that is so easy to mix up. It's so easy to mix up where we think what we do becomes who we are. And then, that, and if I don't do that, then I don't have an identity. And so what I do is, is that I, my work then becomes my identity because it gives me my value, my worth, my affirmation. And listen, that, that is the definition of an idol. Of anything other than God that gives me my worth, my value, and my affirmation. And so what happens is, is that I give everything to that. And that's just, that's what happens when you worship something less than God. It demands everything and it never delivers. You see, but when you realize that you work for God, then you know that God's not going to overwork you. Instead, what you're going to find is, is that if you say, I'm so tired. I'm so tired working so hard so that I can have, so that I can feel valued, so that I can feel like I'm worth something, so that I can feel like those around me feel like I'm, I'm worth something. Here, here's what he's going to do. Listen, last verse in your outline, Matthew, Matthew 11, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You see, the reason you can rest is because you aren't working for the boss. You aren't working for the money. You aren't working for yourself. Instead, you're working for the Lord and he will give you rest. And could it be, could it be that that's why we're so tired? That you're so tired because you've been looking for your identity, your worth and your value in places where they can't be found. And sometimes, I mean, we see this in relationships where someone, they only feel like they're worth something when they're with someone. 
and then the relationship ends and they have like a complete meltdown because like, oh, if, if someone doesn't want to be with me, then I don't, I don't feel like I have worth or value. I, I don't feel like anyone cares about me. And it's, it's the relationship that makes them feel valued or validated in the world. And listen, if nothing in this world can bring you satisfaction and fulfillment, that, that what you're looking for, maybe it's because you were created for another world. That listen, we aren't just physical creatures. Instead, we are spiritual beings who have physical bodies. And that's why the physical can never completely satisfy. That's why the stuff that we buy, it isn't even really about the stuff. It's, it's the significance behind it. And listen, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car, having a nice house, having the latest phone. Or, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But when I say, when, when we say, I got to have that nice car. Well, why? Oh, man, because that's, that's what's going to give me the, the I'm going to feel valued. I'm going to feel like I'm worth something. I'm going to feel important. Now we, we've attached a spiritual value to a physical thing. And we're asking something physical to provide something spiritual and it can never deliver. Because the truth is, you don't really want the car. That's not, that's not the point. You want what it represents. Freedom, youth, power, control. Nothing wrong with having a nice house. But, but when you think, oh, I'm going to have a nice because I want everybody to know that I've arrived. That's not the point. And if you think that's the point, then you know what you're going to find? You're going to push that thing that has to do something for you that it can't do and the thing that you thought well, hey this is a great gift from god you're going to find up you're going to wind up hating because it didn't do you wanted it to bring you this ultimate satisfaction but it can't bring you ultimate satisfaction because it's not built to bring you ultimate satisfaction because it's not the house it's what it represents that it represents security and success and accomplishment and, and, and all of that and the gadgets, oh man, I gotta have the latest phone and I gotta have the latest tablet because man, if I get two two versions behind me, what would people think? Oh, they think, well, man, you, just, you can't afford the phone, or you, oh, you just you know, you just you're a relic, you know? Why? Because we don't. It's not even the phone. Not there's anything once again wrong with the phone. It, it's what it represents: relevance, importance, and being wanted. And see, sometimes we desire things, but what we don't realize is that the thing that we desire is the spiritual substance behind it. That's why the actual object itself doesn't satisfy. They were just meant to stir up the desire for another place because we were created for another place because fulfillment is only found in a person. It's not found in a thing. It's not found in an object. It's not found in an address. It's found in a person person of Jesus Christ because that's where fulfillment lies and he says listen if you're tired if you're tired of trying to go from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing and you're exhausted why don't you come to me and he says I will give you rest I want to give you that opportunity let's, let's pray together and Lord we thank you for the fact that you love us the fact that you don't just leave us on the treadmill of trying to get the next thing, the newest thing that would try to satisfy a desire that's only found in you. So God, I pray that you would do an amazing work in this time for those of us that are here that are, we're tired, Lord. We're tired of being on this wheel of 
more and better and newer and faster and more and bigger and better and thinking that the next thing is going to satisfy when what we need is you. Help us in that now. In Jesus' name.